Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's safety chat. Hi, it's Mike with the Portage County Safety Council. I'm here with Nick Koya from our steering committee and the Ohio BWC. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Hey, Mike. How are you doing today? Fantastic. So, Nick, you're here to talk about the root cause of workplace injuries. What are some root causes of workplace injuries that you see out there? You know, one of the big problems I see when we're looking at accident investigation is that oftentimes we attribute injuries to a single causal factor, the employee themselves. We don't look at uh, the other causal factors that exist in the workplace. We just target in on human behavior. The employee wasn't paying attention. It was a lapse in judgment. They didn't follow policy and procedure, something to that effect. And while that's true, and we can make some improvements in the workplace by addressing those behavioral issues, I think we're missing the boat by not addressing the entire environment of the injury to prevent that from happening in the future. So what I focus in on is causal factors. And definitely, we want to get to a root cause at some point, but I think to get to that root cause, we need to look at the causal factors in the workplace that uh, created an environment in which the injury was able to happen. So to our listeners that may not be familiar with the term, Nick, what is a causal factor? So a causal factor really is an unplanned, unintended contributor to an incident that if you eliminate it, it will have either prevented it from happening or at least reduced the frequency or severity of the event happening in the workplace. So it's, it's a contributing factor is basically what it is. And for the most part, we're able to break those down into what I call buckets. So there's five different buckets that we want to look at. The first being the human level, and that's the one that everybody is easily identifies. You know, the employee tripped in the parking lot. Well, why did the employee trip in the parking lot? Well, she or he was carrying a bunch of boxes and wasn't paying attention to what they were doing, or they weren't wearing the right shoes for the environment. So it was a bad, it was lapse in human judgment, right? And that's the first causal factor. But there's four other ones that I think that it's important that we focus in on and attribute to our investigations. And so those are things such as the task itself. What was the employee doing? Um, what was the ergonomic setup of that work area? What were the procedures being used in that task bucket? Uh, what tools or safety devices were used or not used that led to that incident occurring? The next bucket that we focus in on is the materials. So the equipment itself, the equipment fail in some manner? Uh, were the substances hazardous that we were working with? Was there substandard materials? Was the design of the area poor? All lead into that material bucket. The fourth bucket is actually the environment itself. So how did the environment lead to it? If we go back to the person who slipped in the parking lot, was it because it was dusk? So it was hard to see that that pothole was there? Or was it middle sure. of winter and there was a bunch of snow or, you know, ice on the parking lot? In environment effects inside a facility, too. What are your lighting conditions? You know, I've been in those facilities before where it's the dim lighting and you, you're kind of like straining your eyes to see where you're going because they haven't upgraded the new LED lighting in the workplace. And that could be a contributing factor. And then the last one is probably the hardest bucket for people to accept and really focus in on. It's because it's the management bucket. And this is where we look at how did management fail and lead to this. And that could be things such as was top management not supporting the safety program? Do they not, you know, encourage enforcement of the policies? Were there no safety policies in, in, in place? 
or is there a lack of knowledge of the hazards that exist for management? And if they would have been aware, could we have prevented the environment from happening? Yeah, these are all powerful things. And one thing, looking at your notes and your PowerPoint that you emailed me before the podcast is there's a relationship between all these. A lot of times what happens when we see a model is we think it's linear or we think, you know, even the stages of change that we'll talk about another podcast later. We look, I'm in stage one, stage two, and it's, it doesn't really work like that. These things overlap, don't they? There's a relationship between all these. And usually there's a, there's a few of them, at least two or three of those five that could have contributed to the workplace injury. You know, if you really dig deep, you can usually find almost all five causal factors in place. And what you want to think about is visually in your mind, picture this as a Venn diagram. So I'm, I'm layering those circles over each other. And at the very center where they all interconnect is that incident that occurred or that environment in which there was a potential for the incident to occur, right? right? So what happens when I have that Venn diagram and I pull out the human factor circle? Well, all the other ones are still together and we're still creating that environment that is rich and ripe for some type of incident to occur in the future. Sure. You know, we've changed their behavior so they're paying attention, but we didn't address that we're not supporting good behaviors in the workplace through management. We didn't fix the machine itself that had some errors in it that led to the injury. All those different pieces, we're only addressing one of the five circles of that Venn diagram. And that is the problem that I often see in the workplace when we do accident investigation. Sure, absolutely. I remember one time, Nick, working in the box plant as a young man, and I was on a corrugator machine that made these baseboards for, you know, cardboard packaging for like 12-pack beer containers, swing sets, anything you can imagine that uses cardboard packaging. And sometimes uh, they would come, like the smaller flute level would come and it'd be real thin, and those things could actually be slippery <laughs> and, and a trip hazard. And then sometimes there were, there were these large boxes. Some of them were 12 feet long, maybe like four feet, like big as, bigger than a sheet of plywood. And you had to go across this conveyor, and there was a gate to the conveyor that opened up. And across from the gate, it said, do not walk on conveyor. But part of the job was, and if you didn't do your job, you got in trouble. But part of your job description was to take samples, and they you had to do it from a moving conveyor. Well, one time I picked up one of those swing box sets you know, that's bigger than a sheet of plywood. And you almost had a total opposite of it because there's e-stops triggered everywhere as, as there should be for safety. And I, I swing that thing around and it caused another piece of cardboard to come and it actually caused me to slip. So when I try to avoid the it jamming, I threw this thing off and literally I slid out of nowhere and my foot hit the trigger alarm. And if that trigger alarm wouldn't have been there, my foot could get caught in those pinchers. Uh, the rollers where it would stack the pieces of cardboard that it would cut. It would cut it and then send it through there and stack it and send it down below on these rollers. And there was a little desk probably about three feet long and maybe 18 inches deep, and it had walls and pencils there. And I was supposed to take that piece of cardboard and measure it for quality based on all the perforation, the creases that would make into it. And I would always be like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, everything in here is wrong. So if they came back and you did something, they would come out and yell at you. Hey, why is this down? Why is this shut down? Do this. Do... And none of it really made any sense. And I'm like, man, there's four or five things wrong with this. First off, according to your safety policy, I shouldn't be walking on the conveyor that my job description is. That's a policy issue. That's a management issue. Also, there's a safe right. hazard. I have a desk and I have a, a 10, 12 foot long piece of cardboard that doesn't fit on that desk on a moving conveyor that you want me to take a measurement on. And then you go in and you just see all, there's an environmental factor. Then there's a human factor of coworkers saying, you know, no one wants to machine 
the cut down because it makes them look bad and there's pressure to produce certain numbers to compete with other shifts, which, hey, I don't have a problem with, but at the same time, it's kind of, you know, it's all done in a safe manner. So you have an environmental factor, you have a management, and then you have a human factor, even with peer pressure and social influencer, so to speak, that actually creates tons of potential for a safety hazard. Even though the machinery is rigged with safeguards and triggers to prevent that from happening, there's always a potential for a safety incident because other factors we may not be looking at. So they say, hey, we have an e-stop, we're fine. But you still have the human side of it with your peer pressure from your coworkers. You have the management side threatening to fire you and write you up. And then you have the even your job description, like you said, the task, the environment's unsafe. And then a task has, has you, it would have been better for me to take that down on the flat ground with the open desk to take the measurements in another facility, which is completely possible. And so I could totally see this in play in so many different areas. That's the whole idea is a situation like this, we're able to find five different causal factors, and then we can get into the five whys, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But we start to dissect those causal factors and, and identify those issues. Because here's the thing, it's not only about solving that one injury that happened, okay? We, yeah, we want to solve that to prevent that. But if I ask good questions, and, and you know, let's say that you got hurt at that packaging plant in this, this scenario, and we did this, I could go, well, we also could potentially have back injuries because it's a poor ergonomic setup in the future. Right. So let's solve those hundred issues that may potentially happen down the road. You know, we hey, we identified that, you know, top management saying we have to have these safety protocols, but frontline management is saying that production, production is so important. There's a disconnect in management that's going to lead to other problems throughout the plant. How do we have those conversations and start to fix those? So it's not only about solving the root cause of that initial incident, which is which is our original goal. But if a company really adopts and starts to dig into this, they can start to create an environment and change the culture to have a much safer environment by really digging through this. In fact, Nick, it's almost like we chase our own tail. We beat ourselves up. We war against ourselves when trying to improve our safety performance. And sometimes it's almost like it's we're so in a hurry to get back everything going and get the production numbers up. And it's, we almost take this lazy approach to it where it's so much easier to blame an individual or blame a machine or blame a manager instead of really taking a deep look at it and getting to the, all the issues, not just one factor. I'm sure there's several incidents where it was a human factor, you know, someone gets hit by a tow motor, but right. are the tow motor lines marked out? Did he honk coming around? There's so many different factors in there. And sometimes it almost comes off like it's just, you know, you know, they say water runs to the lowest place. It's just easier just to say, right. point the finger at someone, blame that and move on without saying, let's look deep in this. Let's slow down. Okay. We'll take care of the human side, but let's look deep at the issue, especially if it's a reoccurring problem or a reoccurring near miss. Would you find that to be true from your experience? Well, yeah. And I think the other issue that exists with that is the idea of when you dissect this, you're going to create a lot of work for yourself and other managers. It's easy to just say, hey, it was a behavioral issue or it was a machine guarding issue. We put right. a new guard on there. We don't look at the other areas. If you truly dissect this, you're going to end up with at least five different projects that are going to need fixed. Right. And that seems like a, you know, it's an enormous task and it's almost overwhelming at first. But my theory is this. Would I rather take on this enormous task up front and fix all five of these areas and prevent tons of injuries and make my life easier down the road? Or continue just grabbing one here, grabbing one there with an increased number of injuries happening during that time period. So you put a lot of work in up front, but then the end result is it's an easier to manage program in the long run. 
So this is not about the short game. This is really, this is getting into the marathon of safety investigation and safety culture change. I think you said a key word there, safety culture. I've heard someone, you know, we had this conversation not that long ago, someone on LinkedIn kind of knocked the whole safety culture thing. And, and I'm seeing what he was saying and some other people are commenting. Some people are supportive of the idea of focusing on safety culture somewhere. What I realized was some people were misinterpreting what the meaning of culture actually is. What they were typically complaining about was people talking to talk, but not walking to walk. They were talking about campaigning, not culture. So there's a difference between communicating, campaigning, safety, this, safety, that, put your posters and T-shirts and have your little potluck dinner and have a little party. That's fantastic. But that's not safety culture. That's campaigning. Big difference, isn't it, from safety culture? Safety cultures is the norms, the belief systems, the everyday view of how you do work. It's not just even what the rules are. And so you can't change culture just by policy. Is that a factor? Yes. You can't just do it through campaigning. And so sometimes safety culture gets a bad rep because they're confusing it with campaigning. They're saying this different stuff. But really, if you want to change the culture, you got to hit all five of these areas, right? Yep. This is all part of that culture change. And when employees start to see you dissecting these injuries and you know, be, like I said before, the hardest bucket to deal with is the management issue. And when management steps forward and says, hey, Johnny got hurt today and we've dissected this and these are the five things we're going to implement to prevent this in the future. And one of them is holding ourselves accountable or changing one of our policies or, you know, really following through on what we say is management. What type of message does that echo through to the company? That's much different than the manager coming out and saying, hey, safety's number one here. It's important. Now go produce. It's different when they take ownership in what happens in the company and actually take action based on that ownership. Because the other part of this is once you go through a five why type of questionnaire with these causal factors, I then set up an action plan, both short term and long term. What are we going to do today to fix this? And what are we going to do in the long run? I get it. We got to produce widgets to make money. That's the idea of running a business. We got to make money at the end of the day. And while I would love for you to dump everything you got into creating the safest work environment, I'm a realist when it comes to safety, and I know things don't happen overnight. So that means that big change that we need to do may take three years because of capital improvement dollars. So what can we do today? What can we do in a year from now before we get to that three-year point where we make that large capital improvement? And Nick, we're going to talk about this in another podcast in regards to change, but literally, we did an entire podcast on this, episode 137, if anyone's interested in it. Literally, on the diffusion of innovation model, and, and to put it in plain language, embracing the long view for safety. Safety is not, let's do a campaign for three months and cross our fingers and hope we get lucky. It's not that. It's, are we continually looking to improve? Are we adopting these things like a habit? Just like I do. I start a routine. It eventually becomes a habit in our personal lives. In the same way, are we really embracing the long-term view of safety? of continuous improvement. You know, we do that for TQM, quality management, but do we do it for safety? From my experience, incremental change is usually the most effective in the long run. And I think that whole diffusion of innovation model is so important. In fact, it's become a big part of my life um, over the past few years. Once you understand that model and you see how it works, you see it happening around you everywhere in everything you do. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if it's safety or business or politics or kids or whatever it is. That model really plays into a lot. And when you understand that, you get less frustrated when you're trying to make change. And right. making successful change is about adopting and understanding that model. 
right? It comes on to that old boiling frog parable, which I hope no one's ever tried this, but the old, I think it's a Plato <laughs> thing or something, the old Greek mythology where you can't, an old Greek proverb, I don't know where it came from or Chinese proverb, I'm not sure. Uh, one of those proverbs, smart people from the old days, you can't boil a frog by throwing it in the boiling water because it'll jump out. But if you put it in right. a pot and you, again, don't try this at home, probably go to jail for this nowadays, thank goodness, but you put a frog in there and then you start to slowly simmer that thing and then allow the temperature to go up over time. The frog is not resistant to what you're trying to do to it. Now, in terms of safety, if you come in with a, we just, we have this new turnkey operation, we slap it down, this is what we're going to do. People are going to go berserk. That's a lot of change in a short amount of time. And so if you implement incrementalism, we're going to change these couple things here, 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 and you start to see a gradual right. effect and continually test it and evaluate what this is working, this not, and all these different things. It, it tends to be more effective for the long run. And this, you know, the whole idea of causal factors allows you to give a starting point to change in culture in your company. Because, you know, I often get that question too. Where, where do I start next? I'm a brand new safety person here. Where do I start? You know, I see 10,000 things happening. Let's start dissecting some incidents and let's look at those near misses or accidents that have happened here recently. Let's dissect those and start to come up with plans of actions based on those because this is going to have an overlapping effect. You know, that task or management or environment issue isn't just related to this injury. It's related to tons of injuries. It's just the stars haven't aligned perfectly to create that incident yet. So let's, let's eliminate that from the diagram. Right. And Toyota came out years ago with the root cause analysis strategy they referred to as the five whys. And I remember learning about it in college, before, after, and it's still, you see it trickle down in many different areas and it's made its way to safety, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. So the five why is a tool that a lot of people utilize. And I like to combine the five why with causal factor theory. So often we ask, well, why did the employee get hurt? And, and we only look at that one question. So let's say that you had an employee getting out of a truck and they twisted their knee. So we would ask the question, well, why did the employee twist his knee? Well, he slipped off the step. Well, why did he slip off the step? Well, the driver wasn't wearing proper footwear. Okay, well, why was the driver not wearing proper footwear? Well, he was a new employee and he didn't purchase his, the proper footwear yet. Well, why did he not purchase that? And we get to this final why of, well, the company has a policy that will reimburse you for your new work boots, but you got to work for 30 days first. Right. All right. Well, now I'm not going to buy them, right? I'm a new employee. Maybe I'm a new truck driver. I can't eat that cost of $100 boots, especially when I can get it reimbursed. I'm going to play the long game here and I'm going to skirt the rules for 30 days because I want my reimbursement of my money. We come to this root cause, but what we missed by doing just the five Y and not doing a five Y in each one of those causal factors is we missed the fact that the driver didn't use three points of contact. There was a human error there. Then we asked the question, well, why did he fall? What was the environment? What happened in the environment? Why was the environment an indicator to this? Well, it was snowing and the truck, the truck stuffs were covered in snow. Oh, well, now we got environmental issues we need to think about with our drivers. Why did the driver slip and fall? Well, he was in a hurry. Well, why was he in a hurry? Well, because we have policies that require them to meet certain stop times and the weather was bad. So therefore, he was trying to meet the goal set by management. We're not going to management issue here. So as you do this and you start to take those five whys and throw them into each causal factor, you can get to a good root cause. Yeah, the main reason probably was, you know, depending on who the person who did this, somebody might say the main reason because he, he didn't have the right shoes. Another person may say, well, it's because he didn't use three points of contact. Another may say it's a company policy. And it just depends on who is doing the five Y. That right. Day. 
But if we force everybody into those five causal factors with doing the five wide, now we get everybody. We get all those flavors brought to the table. That's fantastic because it, exactly every time I've heard, and maybe it's even with the language or root cause, just using that language, what it does is it tells our mind, I just want to get to the bottom of it. Think about how often we do that. I want to get to the bottom of this accent. Someone got hit with the tow motor. I'm going to get to the bottom. We're going to get to the bottom of this. You know, the manager comes in, the boss comes in. So what? It, so even if you use root cause analysis, which is a really powerful tool in the five whys, if we're not careful, we always go to the, okay, it's a policy issue. But it's not only a policy issue because the dude didn't have three points of contact. Was there a surface? Was he using a ladder? Was he using, was there something wrong? you know, with the platform that he used to climb into the truck or did he use a gate? There's so many different things. So you really need to get to the issue at each particular level if you want to see full whole change. That's brilliant, Nick. So I, right. I'm sure there's other people that may have said it, but you're the first person I've heard say in this context. So that's, if you're listening to this, really take that in every single level because we always do it at the end user, right? Or we're on the production line. The guy don't have his hearing aids. He loses his hearing. Well, why is the machine? Is it, could it be muffled? There's a whole different levels. Well, we never even thought about that. Why didn't you think about it? So I think of it as like a hand. As you're talking, I think, uh, right. you know, you see those those things when you're a kid, it's, it looks like a starfish. And I'm not telling you the right. safety managers to go to your safety starfish, but it sounds funny. But like, think about your hand. You, you got five levels, you, you know, however level you want to tie it to, to remember this. You have those five factors. You got five fingers to easily remember this. And then you have five whys. So for each of those, you know, those levels and each of those different characteristics between the tasks, the policy, the human, the materials and the environmental factors, what are those causal factors? What what's going on? What are we doing? You know, how do we get to this and how do we tie it together and improve that safety culture and safety performance? You know, I tell my customers, you know, do one of two things when you're going to do this. When you're in that room and you're brainstorming this um, and you're trying to come to those five whys. I don't care if it's sticky notes or a whiteboard, write your five causal factors up there and then start working your why categories underneath those. In fact, part of my accident investigation program that I put together for customers, one of those pieces is part of their packet of the investigation is an action plan sheet at the end that has the five causal factors and short-term and long-term goals and an assignment of who's going to do those at the end so that they have to complete that form as part of their accident investigation. It's right there in front of them. But we work it out on that larger whiteboard as, as we talked about. You know, the other thing that I want to say about the five whys, I think it's a great idea, but it's a catchphrase. And this is where a lot of people get caught up. They think they have to ask why five times. Sometimes it's only two or three. Right. Sometimes it's eight whys. It's not just always five. You don't get to five or stop, or you don't, you know, pound your head off that proverbial wall trying to get past number three, because there is nothing past number three for that question. Right. It's just sometimes. It's just a catchphrase. But a lot of people get caught up in that five whys. How do we get to that fifth why? So the basic one that I use for them is it'll list all the causal factors. And then uh, within those causal factors, it'll say task, material, environment, human uh, management process. And then it'll say factors. And that's where we're putting those why pieces in there. And then there's an action plan that's just short term and long term. What are we going to do to fix each of these causal factors that we identified? And then we, we have an assignment and completion date because I am a huge proponent of scorecards, uh, visual monitoring of what we say we're going to do. And I like to take that form itself and go plaster it out on the safety bulletin board uh, so that the entire factory sees what we're talking about. You know what? Hey, things happen. Mistakes happen. We're going to fix them. But I think when you start being transparent and putting that information out, that starts to change culture, too, because they see that you're serious about it. And it holds you accountable. 
Yeah. Is there some sort of mechanism for a follow up? So, you know, a lot of times you see this, they have safety committee meetings. I've been a part of those before in the past where you go through the rundown and then you get a to do list and you kind of put those requests off for the people responsible, whether it's a meeting, Scott, whatever that looks like. And then everyone just kind of forgets about it and then it doesn't get done. You know, you may have a deadline set on the paper, but does someone have like a follow through? They come in and it's management willing to hold those people accountable if things don't get done. Again, it's just another factor. It's part of your five causal factors. You know, it's, it's different for every facility that I go into. In a perfect world, this becomes part of that safety committee. And part of the safety committee in a perfect world has agreements that everybody that's on there enters into. So if I'm going to be the representative for the shipping dock because I work in shipping and receiving, I'm going to sign an agreement that says that when I'm assigned things, I'm going to complete the work. I'm going to show up to, you know, 90% of the meetings. I'm going to bring in updates. And if I don't, I'm going to be removed from the team. Um, and typically there's some benefit for being on that team also, you know, sure. whatever it is. It might be lunch. It might be the shirt or whatever. There's some benefit that are encouragement for you to be part of that. But there's really a contract and that contract is entered into between the committee member and then the, what I call the champion. The champion is that management representative who will go to bat at the board with you. So while it's great to have your, your production manager be there, is he the person that's sitting in the boardroom or is your vice president going to be your champion? If it was me and I'm pushing for this and we're really going to change safety in your company, it's going to be the vice president or the president that I want to be the champion that I'm reporting to. What I like about this model is it takes it out of this binary, yes, no, right, wrong kind of thing and makes it a part of like, at some point, it makes it part of the actual behaviors, which we use the word culture, but trying to stay away from that. It literally just becomes part of your constitution, if you will, your unspoken rules of engagement, how you just do business and life together in your facility at work. You know, this process goes here, here. And sometimes I think of the policy manual, we have these steps that don't translate well with people on the ground. And so management puts these things together with the best interest in mind, but sometimes it doesn't because they're not on the floor. You know, there's all these little things that happen there. And so what happens is this really connects and bridges workers and management and safety managers as a linchpin between the two, really to kind of get together and say, hey, this isn't just an HR thing, not a safety thing. It just helps it because think about every little thing you do and, and you investigate the five factors at the five levels. Well, there's some management changes that need to happen. A lot of times those aren't happening. There's some humanistic things coming down. Well, those may be happening. They may be able to be improved. It could be an environmental thing. You know, maybe the maintenance closet needs fixed or needed fixed for six years and no one's ever kept right. it clean or, or held anyone accountable. So it brings all those sometimes, factors in there. Right. And sometimes we find things such as this. The injury occurred because we didn't do preventative maintenance. Well, why didn't we do preventative maintenance? Right. Well, because maintenance is running from fire to fire every day because we don't have enough staffing. Now we start to find other issues with inside the company. And it helps us kind of tear back those layers of the onion and make things better. You know, and there's one other really important point that I always like to leave people with. And I want them to really you take anything from this, no matter what. I'd love to see you do causal factors and the five whys in each one of those. But the one thing that I think you can take away from all of this that I tell my customers, my clients, um, and those in my classes is this. This accident investigation is about finding facts, not faults. Right. And if you stick to that line of thinking, this is about the facts and not faults, you're going to make some major changes just with that line of thinking. Because often it's, well, whose fault was it? Well, let's not play the blame game here. All right. Things happen. Yeah, maybe Johnny could have done some things different, but let's find the facts that led to it. And let's, let's change that. 
I do this when I talk about conflict resolution classes, when I do this type of training, Nick, it's funny whenever you study even some body language behavioral specialists, they'll tell you when things are confrontational, people look face to face. And when they're just having a conversation about something, they almost unintentionally form a triangle, not an initial greeting per se, but if you watch someone hanging out talking, they'll form like a V instead of like face to face. And it's almost like forming a triangle. And if you put that problem or issue as like a third person kind of personified a little bit in regards to like, Hey bud, you know, here's what we're looking at. What happens is it diffuses the blame game because when it's confrontational, what we don't realize we're doing, it's like taking a piece of paper. And I used to do this in, in the class and rate problem on it. It's like I go walk up to you if I think you're the you, you you're the one that did the problem or you're the problem, and I slap the paper in your chest. Like, what are you gonna do about it? It automatically that obvious response is gonna be push. You're either gonna like submit to that and just say I'm not worthy, you know what I mean, or you're gonna push back at me and be confrontational. So a lot of that stuff is it applies to this. But if we say, hey, listen, this is not about a blame game. Let's just we have this issue, okay? Let's look at it like a third person. How can we work together to get this thing taken care of? And what you do is instead right. of making that person a villain, you actually make them a problem solver and help them into the problem solving process. So there's a lot of success that can come from that. You don't really see that in industry very much. And you don't really see it in safety too much, but that's a great point. Well, and it changes how you gather information at the point of the incident, because this root cause, five whys, causal factors, whatever approach you take is only as good as the information you get. Garbage in is garbage out, right? right? So if I teach my investigators, those supervisors or lead techs, whatever they are on the floor, that we're looking for facts, not fault, it changes how you view what just happened in front of you and what information you put on your piece of paper, which then allows this causal factor or root cause or 5Y process to look much, much different because now you have different information in front of you. Absolutely. Well, Nick, this has been a great podcast. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. If anyone wants to reach out for more information or have you come out and do a training or possibly a Zoom training or whatever that looks like a webinar, how can they get a hold of you? So they can reach out to their local Ohio BWC service office. They can connect there. They'll assign them to their assigned representative. Uh, you can do that right on our website uh, at BWC. To our members and listeners, thanks for listening. Everyone out there, be safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.